Well, if you have uh, spent much time studying the scriptures, if you've taken a look at the gospels, the stories about Jesus' life and death and resurrection, and you come to the book of Acts here, uh, let's talk a little bit about Jesus' main followers, the 12 disciples. Remember those guys? Uh, Jesus went all uh, throughout the stories of his life. We have different uh, uh, scenes where Jesus came across different men and he called them and told them, you're going to follow me. I want you to follow me. They left everything that they had and they followed Jesus. And then we get to hear the story of their growth as followers of Jesus. And often it's not pretty, is it? There was the time when, so let's just start off, first of all, the apostles, the disciples, they were pretty impressive guys. And by the way, they are the 12 disciples before Jesus ascends to heaven, and they are called the 12 apostles after Jesus goes to heaven, not because they've become something entirely and totally different. They're still the disciples of Jesus, but because that word apostle comes from the Greek Greek word apostello, which means I send you. So when the Bible describes these men as apostles, they are the sent ones of Jesus Christ. And if we want to know what they were sent for, we just have to go back to the beginning of the book of Acts, right here in Acts chapter 1, starting in verse... I got too much stuff on my stand here. Right here, uh, starting in verse 7, Acts 1, 7. He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This is the theme statement of the book of Acts, and this is the story that we're going to trace. So the 12 disciples are called by Jesus. And when they're first called, they do amazing things like Peter and John are out fishing. That's their business and their livelihood. Now, in the world that they lived in, they probably didn't have big savings accounts and 401ks to assure a comfortable future. Much of what they made, maybe all of what they made every day, probably went just to putting food on the table and meeting their basic needs. And Jesus finds them and he says, you, follow me, and they leave everything behind to follow Jesus. That's an, a spectacular decision that they make. So we're not going to be hard on the uh, disciples, but we are going to do the blooper reel just a little bit here this morning as well. See, there was the time when the disciples were with Jesus and some Samaritans started to mock Jesus, and the disciples said, teacher, should we call down fire from heaven to burn all these horrible heathens up? And Jesus is like, guys, you don't get it. That's not what I'm here for. There is the time where Peter, Jesus said to the disciples, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, blessed are you, Peter, because it wasn't flesh and blood that revealed this to you, but the the Holy Spirit of God. God has taught you this. And uh, then Jesus says, now it's time for me to go and die. And Peter says, you will never do that, Jesus. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan, to Peter. Another low light. And then worst of all, of course, is Jesus goes to the cross. And how does he go? Does he go accompanied by his friends? 
supported and loved by them. Jesus, we don't understand, but we're with you to the end. Now, that's what they promised, isn't it? At the Last Supper, Jesus said, hey, before this night's over, you will all leave me. And they said, we will never leave you, Jesus. And then Jesus gets arrested, and they all scatter, and they're gone. Peter, in particular, God bless him, I love Peter, because he reminds me that God can save a man like me. Peter, in particular, Jesus says, before the rooster crows, before morning comes, you will deny me three times. Peter says, I'll never do that. And sure enough, Peter denies him three times. And that third time he hears the rooster, he, he hears morning come and the rooster crowing. And it says, Peter went outside and wept bitterly. These were not guys who had it all together. God bless them. They're people just like you and me. See, when we read our Bibles, they've been reminding us a number of times lately that God doesn't put people and characters in the Bible. He's telling us true stories of the things that happened, but he's not telling us those stories so we can look at them and say, man, those people were dumb. You know, those Pharisees, oh gosh, how could they have been so stupid? God puts people in the Bible and gives us their stories because he thinks, you need to hear this because you will be tempted to be the same way. There is a Pharisee living in you, in your heart, and you must not give in to him. The disciples' stories are our stories. That's why they're there. And that's good news. Because, man, the disciples turn out well. That's what we see here in Acts chapter 5. Now, if you've been here the last several weeks, I really do have too much stuff up here. I don't know where I'm going to put it all. But if you've been here the last several weeks, uh, one of the things that you would have heard is that we've heard almost exactly the same story a couple of chapters ago. Remember, the apostles come into the temple, and while they're on their way there, there's a man begging for coins, and uh, they see the guy, and they, gee, uh, Peter says, silver and gold I don't have, I'm poor, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, get up and walk. And this guy gets up, he leaps up, and he walks, and he clings to Peter, and his life has been transformed. And everyone sees what's happened around. They say, this is an amazing miracle. And what happens? Well, the religious leaders, the Sanhedrin and the Sadducees, they hear about what has happened. They call the disciples in. They're afraid because they're so popular, but they say, well, we'll get them away from the crowd somehow. And they say, stop teaching about Jesus. This is a bad thing that you're doing. And Peter and John say sort of, well, we're pretty sure that, that God's called us to this. And we're pretty sure that we should obey him rather than you. Now, I'm not being sarcastic here. That's kind of their attitude. Like, we're pretty sure that we're actually doing what we're supposed to be doing. And we know that they're saying we're pretty sure because after this whole experience, by the way, they get let go. They don't, the leaders don't do anything to the disciples. They just let them go and say, stop it, right? which is, of course, like not effective at all. But the disciples go back and they gather with the whole church and they start to pray. And remember, the, the core of their prayer is give us boldness to continue speaking because they're feeling the pressure. They're feeling that there are people out there who don't want us to speak. 
And that's weighing on us. So they pray, God, give us boldness. And the whole place where they're staying is shaken. They're filled with the Holy Spirit, and they go out, and they start preaching even more. We've heard this story before. It's so similar. And I was thinking, as, as I was reading in this passage and trying to figure, what, what is this about? What do we preach on on Sunday? How does this add to the story that came before it? Here's what I came up with. The, the apostles, the 12, remember, they, they get arrested. They appear before the, uh, the Sanhedrin, the Jewish council. All of these things happen, and the apostles are absolutely unshakable. Right? There's no sense anymore of, we think we're supposed to do this. Listen to, listen to how uh, uh, Peter actually interacts with, uh, oh, now I'm on the wrong page again, too much. Uh, listen to how Peter interacts with the high priest and all of these people who've got all the power. They come before him. The high priest and his associates, you know, they, they finally get him into their court where they're going to make a decision. They say, We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. You're making enemies out of us, is essentially what they're saying. And in verse 29, Peter and the other apostles replied, We must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on the cross. They haven't changed their tune at all, have they? They're doubling down. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior, that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. And what are we? We are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. Is Peter being weak-willed about this or weak-kneed? Is he afraid of the Sanhedrin, of the priests, or any of these people? Not at all. Is he? Not only that, I love, he says, we are witnesses of these things, right? We are apostles. We really are. God has sent us to be witnesses so that everyone will turn to Jesus Christ because he's the one that God has sent. He says, and not only are we witnesses, but so is the Holy Spirit. Now, I want you to understand the implication of what Peter is saying here. God is on our side, not yours. He's saying this to the high priest of his people, to the experts in the law. As a matter of fact, there's a man who appears in this story who is so famous for being an expert in the law that we actually have extra biblical testimony about him in the rabbinic literature. It exists to today. Gamaliel. Gamaliel. Gamaliel is the guy who says, hey, before you, you just throw him in prison or you kill him, here's what I think you should do. You know, people, they rise up and they make a lot of noise, but if God's with them, they'll succeed. If God's against them, they'll fail. So let's just wait and see what happens. This isn't like a room of the B team, okay? This isn't the one seed playing the 16 seed in the NCAA tournament, all right? This isn't the Yankees playing the Mariners or the Dodgers playing the Mariners because they're the new evil empire. I said it. That's right. <laughs> no. Peter, 16 seed or not, is saying, I have all of the power and wisdom and knowledge on my side. He's changed, hasn't he? He's been transformed. 
And if you're like me, you want to know how, don't you? Because I mean, we in the abstract want to be like Peter, don't we? At least in the abstract, we're kind of like, yeah, I want to be the guy who's standing before the court and who stands up for my faith in Jesus in this way and who's really a witness. And that when the court tries to fight back, they've got nothing. Do you get just how incompetent these people appear when Peter and his friends make their appearance? Go back. Remember what happens? They... Uh, find Peter and everyone preaching out in the, in the temple at Solomon's Colonnade. And they're really popular. And so the Sadducees are filled with jealousy. They arrest the apostles and put them in the public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. So what happened in the next morning? Well, the Sadducees and all the other leaders of Israel come together and they send to the jail. Say, bring us the prisoners. They're like, they're no prisoners, guys. They are gone. You are not powerful enough to contain these nobodies. Because that's what they are. They were fishermen. And they were tax collectors. Repeatedly throughout Acts and, and the Gospels, people marvel and say, these guys haven't even been to school. They're uneducated. Where did they learn to talk like this? Because they spoke with power. We want to be like Peter and the apostles. So what's their secret? What's their secret? I'm going to give you just two things. There's more we could pull out of here, but just two things I'm going to tell you. The first one is that they prayed. They prayed. Is there anyone in here who is not capable of prayer? Anyone? That means that you can be like Peter. It means that you can have a ministry with the power of Peter. Not because of who you are. Because just like Peter, most of us, maybe all of us, we're just fishermen. Right? We're, we're just regular people. And sometimes that may even be a generous description of who and what we are. We don't hold public office. <laughs> we, we don't uh, have lots of influence all over the world and among our nation and sometimes even in our county. We do have some influence in Lemon Cove, but Lemon Cove's pretty small. So <laughs> God bless Lemon Cove because it's a worthy place. God has loved Lemon Cove. You know how many towns this size have a church in them? Guessing not everyone. It means God loves Lemon Cove. He put his people here. First thing is just prayer. We know that from the last passage, remember? They went and, and what they said, you know, the, the Sanhedrin was, was grilling them. And they, they believed in Jesus, but they were struggling a bit. And they prayed, God, give us boldness. And God filled them with the Holy Spirit. And do they look bold to you? Yeah. They're not afraid of anybody or anything. But here's the other thing. Here's the other thing that we need. We need to be faithful. We need to be faithful. What does that mean? Well, remember Peter and John were standing in front of the Sanhedrin and they thought that they could trust Jesus. 
They were maybe even pretty sure about it, but they weren't 100%, were they? They had some questions in their minds and in their hearts. They had some doubts. Are there any people with questions and doubts in your minds and hearts this morning? I'm, I'm not raising my hand just to invite you to raise your hand. I got questions. I got doubts. There are days when I say, God, are you really there? Or am I just fooling myself? There are times when I say, God, I know that you promised that if I follow Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit, that you will make right the things that have gone wrong in my heart. That you will lead me to a good end, which is really just a beginning when Jesus comes back. But is that really enough for today? Is that really enough for this moment? Is that really enough for this sacrifice or this suffering? And you know how Peter and the other apostles overcame those doubts? They just said yes. They didn't say, I got to screw up my courage and, and just stop believing in these doubts. I have to stop worrying. You know, when Jesus told us in, in the Sermon on the Mount, don't worry. He's not saying, like, what you need to do is stop it. Just stop it. He's saying, understand who I am and what I've done for you. And then live like those things are true. And you will find the power that is present in them. That's what Peter and the disciples were doing. They were saying, I'm not 100% sure I'm going to get out of this okay. I'm not 100% sure Jesus is really going to take care of me in all the ways that he promised to. I have failed in the past. I denied him three times before the cock crowed. But this time is going to be different. This time, I'm just going to say yes to what Jesus has promised. Whether it feels safe or not, I'm just going to say yes. And you know what? Maybe there is even a sense for them of, I'm just going to try it out. Because last time when I failed, it was really awful. And I'm just going to try something different today. See, at no point does God say, your faith is so big because you are so great. God says, your faith, if you have faith at all, is because of the work that I have done in your life to make that possible. And all you need to do is just say yes. That's it. Just say yes to Jesus. And that's what the apostles did. Now, what if we let that just saying yes have its way in our life? Okay, what will we look like? What will, how will our lives change? Because we might be worried, and maybe justly worried, that if we just say yes to Jesus, this life is going to stink. Worry about that ever? If I just say yes to Jesus, he's going to ask me to sacrifice all this stuff that I don't want to sacrifice. And I don't know if I can actually have a good, happy, meaningful life in that way. Well, I'm not really sold on the benefits of happiness, but that's a different sermon. So let me just, let me just say this. Look at the apostles. Because remember, Jesus puts these people and their stories in the Bible, not so that we would look at them and say, oh, those guys were so dumb, or do the opposite and say, wow, I could never be like those people. He puts them in there 
Because he says, this is the story that I want to make part of your life. <laughs> Good, if you're going to say, come on, I was like, oh no. <laughs> not buying it, i got to keep going. <laughs> Amen. So how did the apostles' story end? End of chapter 5 here. Verse 41. Remember what happens? The, the Sanhedrin, he pulls, they pull the apostles out. They say, stop it, and here's a beating so that you'll take us seriously. It says they flogged him. We don't know exactly how they beat them. We just know that it was unpleasant, to put it mildly. And then how did the apostles leave the Sanhedrin? Can Jesus give you a good life if he makes you sacrifice? The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Because you know what the apostles were saying and thinking at that moment? They were saying, we are more like Jesus now than we were before. Do you know who else got beaten for following what the Father wanted? Jesus. Do you know what God did, what the Father does for his Son because he went through with the cross? We said it in Philippians 2. Remember, he did not consider equality with God a thing to be used to his own advantage, but he emptied himself. And being found in appearance as a man, he emptied himself even further. He became obedient to death. And therefore, at the name of Jesus Christ, every voice in heaven and on earth and under the earth, every knee, every place will bow down before him and they will say there is no greater name than the name of Jesus Christ. This is our story, not because of who we are, but because of what God has done. Can, can God give us a life that we want to live in the meantime while we wait for real life to come? Yes, he can. Because if our eyes are fully on Jesus, it won't matter how badly we suffer in the meantime. We will see, I am like Jesus, and that is the deep desire of my heart and who would it be better to be like in the first place did anyone love better than jesus remember love your enemies pray for those who persecute you no one loved better than jesus did anyone live with power like jesus no he rose from the dead guys this is the story that god wants our lives to take on as well i want to leave or uh, end with just this um, John Stott, in his commentary on this passage, John Stott, a wonderful English churchman, uh, as pastor for many years, someone I admire very greatly. And when he got to verse 41 here, uh, when he saw the disciples left worthy, or rejoicing because they'd been counted worthy of suffering disgrace from the name, he quoted uh, a couple of Christians, one from very, very long ago and one from just a few decades ago. Tertullian, from very, very long ago, like the first few centuries of the existence of the church, in addressing the rulers of the Roman Empire, cried out, Kill us! Torture us! Grind us to dust! The more you mow us down, the more we grow! The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church.
Or as Bishop Festo Kivengeri said in February 1979, on the second anniversary of the martyrdom of Archbishop Janani Luwum of Uganda, I'm very sorry if I mispronounced any of those names, he said, without bleeding, the church fails to bless. Because Jesus bled first. And we are blessed by him. What's the worst that persecution can do to followers of Jesus? The worst persecution can do to us is to our delight, make us like Jesus.